When we had sushi the other day, I had a sticker in my back pocket and I said, don't forget to give this to Tasha. Mm. And I did. Oh, what is it? It says protect trans kids and it has a little like snake and a boot. Oh, cute. It's really, I mean, it's a nice design. Not, I don't mean like, oh, cute. What a, what a cute little cause. What a, no, I don't mean like, <laughs> like, yeah, I know. No, that's, that's great. And I would it's like that. It's a really great design. Yeah. So. I'm gonna, I would like that. Yes. Okay. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season five, episode two, Manic. But <laughs> this, I don't even want to get into thoughts. I've got like two puffy Cheetos left, and then I'm good. I'm, you're not gonna hear a peep out of me. You know what song I had in my head today? Hmm. Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> Give me your answer to I'm half crazy all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford it carriage, but you'd look sweet upon a seat with a bicycle made for two. <laughs> Cute. A bicycle built for two. You know that song, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know all of those words. It won't get out of my head and I fucking hate it. I can't, it won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage, but you look sweet upon the seat and a bicycle belt for two. That's just going through my head the whole time, and I don't know where the fuck it came from. Daisy, Daisy. God, what song was in my head yesterday that was, ugh, Jacoby is really into that fucking 21 Pilots song, Heathens. All my friends are heathens, Hmm. and wants to listen to it over and over it's like i can darla listens to bad guy like 900 times a day but i just i don't know why the heathen song is bad guy what's bad guy billy eilish i'm a bad guy i sing it like a like a fucking barbershop quartet guy i'm like i'm a bad guy okay Opening scene. <laughs> a stabler and patrol officers are searching this dark building. They're following a trail of bloody handprints with their flashlights. Stabler's in a hoodie and jeans because he probably got interrupted at a Home Depot or something to come in for this call. Yeah. It's it's noticeable enough because he's a constantly suit and tie guy. I totally write about it later because I was like, okay, why is nobody wearing bulletproof vests or anything? Like, <laughs> and why is he in like a fucking hoodie with it like open? <laughs> <laughs> but like, whatever, you know, I kind of get stuck on it, too, but in a different way. Yeah. So Stabler finds a handprint on a door and he grabs the handle without a glove <laughs> and fucking touches the blood and everything. What the fuck is going on? The door is locked and Stabler tries to get in and you can hear, don't hurt me, don't hurt me from behind the door. It sounds like a kid. Yeah. Cut to outside the building. Benson fucking screeches up. Toots is on the scene. The scene is actually a school. There's been a shooting. This is why I'm like, why isn't everybody? What the fuck? Yeah. Okay. Two kids have already been killed. So the two victims were found in the gym naked except for their shoes. Mm. They haven't got the shooter yet, but they do know he's got a hostage. Back inside, Benson and Toots find Stabler trying to communicate with the hostage and the perp. Then there's a gunshot and Stabler fucking busts down the door and finds a kid like slumped up against the wall. So they think the perp climbed out of a really tall open window. Toots and the cops go look for the perp and Stabler talks to the kid. He's alive. He has a gunshot 
wound the head. It's also a Culkin. It's fucking Rory Culkin. So we That's already it. know that they are chasing their tails right now. And it's like, I love a guest star. I love when there's like a recognizable person on SVU intentionally, not like, oh my God, they were on, it's fucking whatever. I was angry about it this time. I, I was really? just like, stop going down that rabbit hole, you guys. You're just going to reach a dead end. It's fucking Rory Culkin. <laughs> <laughs> so here I actually call it right here. I mm. parentheses. I said, I'm calling it the kid is the shooter and grazed himself in the head to get away with it. He's a representation of what 90s and 2000s ideas of was bipolar, crazy, quote, psychos and buckle up, everyone, because this is one of those episodes where it's all court stuff and mental health stuff. We're going to see a lot of Cabot and Wong in this one. Mm. That's pretty good, right? When you kicked off your little I called it and you're like, it was him. I'm like, this isn't a good one. Do I just let her have it? <laughs> But like well, going into detail about the court and the and the yeah. Huang stuff is great. And we do see a lot of Cabot and Huang this episode. Oh, do mm-hmm. we fucking ever. I just mm-hmm. said that as if we see somebody's dick. We don't, but we'll we'll get into it. Also, bitch has bangs. Don't, don't, she I don't want to talk about it yet. I don't want to talk about I, it I, I talk about it too. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Craigan's in the gym now. Toots and Benson canvas for any leads on finding the assailant, but no luck. One lady saw a tall white guy run and jump into a car about a block away, but that's it. I mean, it's like, this is New York City. Everybody's running into jumping, uh, like running into a car. Right. Every white guy's running. Into- <laughs> Anyways, so the boy was shot, obviously. His name is Joe Blaine. He's at the hospital and he's okay. The bullet didn't enter his skull, thank God, just grazed him. So the crime scene units are there they're tagging and mapping the scene in the gym. The two boys that were killed were basketball players Luke Rhodes and Tyrell Dant. The shooting took place on Saturday. School's not open, you know, so the kids must have been playing basketball outside. Mm-hmm. The perp broke a window and forced them inside. School security Hector shows up and he lets detectives know that there is a gun missing from the lockbox. <laughs> It was confiscated from a student, Derek Fowler, on Friday, and a patrol officer was scheduled to pick it up on Monday. Toots and Munch and SWAT are at the Fowler residence. They just bust in. Derek's dad is on the couch, totally freaked out. He's like, I'm clean, man. Like, ask my PO. And then Toots goes, shut up. Where's Derek? (laughs) The way he said it, he's like, shut up. Um, He's in his room. (laughs) And and they go over to the door and the dad's like, don't be fucking busting down his door. Just like open it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so Toots goes in and Derek's all fucking scared and pissed. And I didn't strike him as scared. He was just like, what the fuck, you guys? And I'm like, wow, this is uh, Ooh, these guys have guns. These guys yeah. are these guys are surprised. We have guns and we're in your apartment. And they're and the dad's just like doesn't even jump up off the couch. He's like, dude, I'm clean. What the fuck is going on here? He's in his right. room. And Derek's like, fuck you guys. I didn't take it that way at all. Yeah. So they start talking about where the gun is. And then dad's like, you fucking stole my gun, you little prick. He actually says, you little prick. Yeah. I mean, if that were the case, he would be a little, well, that's a little prick move. Yeah. And Derek was like, I wasn't going to fucking use it. I just wanted to show off. Yeah. So Derek is taken to the precinct. Now at the precinct, Derek is sitting in the interview room while Toots is with Craig and on the other side of the glass... Oh, I do it for the next one because I didn't feel like it was a proper behind. Oh, I didn't feel like I, it was proper. I, I don't ever know what the rules are, but in my mind, I always do just like a backup one just in case they're in Cragen's okay. miniature dollhouse. Cute. They don't have to be, but <laughs> Toots lets Cragen know that Derek usually lives with his mom and has been suspended twice for bringing knives to school. Munch pops out from interviewing Derek's dad then in a different interview room. Dad told Munch that during the shooting, he, Derek's dad, was at the bar drinking his breakfast so Derek Mm -hmm. could have been anywhere out doing anything. Benny pops in with her updates from Corner Warner. There were no signs of sexual assault and they're all like, huh, 
Well, shit. Toots thinks that even if the boys weren't sexually assaulted, making them strip was to humiliate them. That was mm -hmm. the intention. Just then, Cragen gets a call. Joe Blaine is awake. Detectives need to try and get information from him, so they're going to head over there. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. No, let, let me, me ask you this. Let me let ask, me ask you, you this. question. <laughs> when the fuck do they just hand this over to homicide? Like, this is not an SVU case anymore. It is when there's children involved. Is it just like any time? Right? I don't know. I feel like that's a, it's kind of shaky for me. Because it's special victims. I, I I know there was one time, remember when there was there was one time where they explained it. I can't remember what episode it was, but there was a kid. Because they're like, what the fuck did you call me for, us for? And he's like, because it was a child. Yeah. And it's part of, it's under the umbrella of, okay. it was like a neglected child or something like that. I don't know. It was the one where the baby had been kidnapped. I think. Oh, I don't. I don't remember. I'm just. Uh, yeah. I'm just mad at everybody this episode. I don't know. I was watching it just like <laughs> at everybody. <laughs> okay, Clinton Hospital emergency room. Joe's there with his mom, who was in Dope Sick, which is such a good series. Benson holds a lineup card with different boys' photos on it, including Derek's. Joe points at Derek and says that they go to school together. But when asked if Derek was the one that hurt him, he refuses to answer. Mm -hmm. Stabler asks Joe about the broken window and Joe starts going off like he made me do it and he closes mm -hmm. his eyes and starts having this little flashback kind of thing and I'm rolling my eyes at mm -hmm. this whole thing because yes. I know that it's you you little prick. I know I'm like fucking you know he's like then oh. I, you realize later it's like yeah. 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 Still, though, I, I never let it go. I'm a dog with a bone. So he's going on. He's freaking out. He says he doesn't want to tell them that he doesn't remember. But the whole time they're talking, he's sketching pretty decent sketches, by the way. But he's mm -hmm. sketching these faces and shit. So Benny mm -hmm. and Staves are like, come on, big fella. You're so brave. You could do it. Help us out. Draw us a picture. Draw us who it was. We're going to do that quick pull up of our slacks and squat down next to you and <laughs> let you know that it's, we're just too safe grown-ups. Let's have a wrap. We're going to do this however you feel comfortable. And if you feel comfortable right. by drawing us a little fucking sketch of, the, of whoever it is, boom, we can use it. Cut to the school. Benny and Stabes are meeting with Hector, the security guard. Stabler shows Hector the picture Joe drew after that fucking riveting second act pep talk that they gave him. Mm -hmm. It's the janitor, George. That's right. This kid is a police sketch level artist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they can tell exactly who it was. According to Hector, George has a temper. Last week, two kids had kicked George's mop bucket over, so he chased him with the mop and whatever, and he's like, oh, actually, it was those boys who got shot. Oh, well, this is adding up to... Wait, no, it's not. It's not. It's Macaulay Culkin's little brother. Benson and Stabler ask Hector about the gun that was in the lockbox. Only Hector has the key. And it's with him at all times, even when he showers. <laughs> Except there is a spare set that he keeps in the security desk that no one has access to. Except for the janitor. Yeah, he's like, I keep it on this side because nobody walks around here. And I'm like, that's, that's what you do? There's a gun in there. He's like, yeah. Who comes behind your desk to clean? The janitor. What the fuck? You don't have it like in a drawer or anything? You mean George, the guy weird. you're looking to? <sighs> so weird that these things are just doot, 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 lining up. And we're only seven minutes into this thing. Shit. Mm -hmm. Now we're at the precinct. George is being interviewed by Toots. George is the janitor. George the janitor. George <laughs> janitor the George. <laughs> George of the jungle janitor. George. <laughs> George completely denies going to the school and killing the kids and hurting Joe. He's like, I would never hurt Joe. Specifically, fuck those other kids. But like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it, but I would never hurt Joe. 
Toots and Munch are getting loud with him and telling him he did it. They say shit like, you killed those kids with a gun you lifted from the lockbox. <laughs> He's like, I don't know nothing about that gun. And Toots is like, you seem to know a lot about it because you said that gun. You know, it's right. like, calm down. How did you get that? Whatever. George says he has emphysema. He couldn't have gotten out of the window. He says to Toots, maybe you could wiggle your pretty little ass through the window, but I can't. <laughs> and Toots is like, thank you. Thanks. Now we're at the school again. Stabler and Benson are on scene with the crime scene lab. The window they think the perp escaped is really high. Mm-hmm. It's possible that George is telling the truth. There's no way he could have gotten out the window. CSU Captain Judy shows Benson and Stabler the path the bullet took when it was fired because it, it was in a boiler room, so it like ricocheted everywhere, mm-hmm. and it leads back to the gun being shot straight up. Whoa. Benson's like, maybe Joe struggled with the perp and made the gun fire? Joe's prints are everywhere, indicating that the shooter could have made him open and close the doors. And then Benson's like, what if the kid and the shooter are the same person? Told ya, world. (laughs) They're like, no, (laughs) no, probably not. Stabler and Benson go over the possible scenario of Joe not being able to get out the window, trying to shoot himself, but like shying away. Yeah, like flinching. And then hiding the gun. And then, of course, Benson's like, this is a big boiler room. She's like, let me check this one spot. But it was the boiler, though. There's more than one. Well, I guess you're right. Yeah. Benson finds the gun in the boiler. Because she's like, where's the most obvious place that a kid is going to hide a... Yeah. Was it half melted, too? Uh, was it? It looked weird. I don't know. So now we're at Joe's house. Benson and Stabler go in to find Joe, but he's in his room and won't come out. Mom's super confused about what's going on. Detectives go into his room with their guns drawn, which I was like, holy shit. I mean, the kid did. At this point, he's he's, a suspect now. So they're like, he could fucking shoot us. They think he escaped out the bedroom window because it it opened. Oh, my God. Also, when they open the door, how hard Stabler squat enters the room. (laughs) Did you see that? (laughs) No. Oh, my God. I wish I would. have. I assumed that that would be all you talked about. That's. Probably why he has such a great ass is just from like squatting all the time on the show. Benson finds a bunch of drawings in Joe's room, one that show like a shooting, Mm -hmm. two dead boys in a gym, and this like mysterious figure holding a gun over them. Stabler's like, he planned this the whole dang time. Also, they're like, Mom, where is he? And she's just like, I don't know. Yeah, the camera cuts to her and she's just regretting her life choices. You'd think she'd be like, Oh my God, where is he? This is New York City. What, like, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I don't want to, you know, a dingo ate my baby and saying how you should react, you know, but, right. <laughs> you know. In the precinct, Joe's mom, Sandra, is being interviewed. Sandra tells Benson that the drawing was just a drawing and Joe ran off because he's fucking terrified. So Stigler slides across the super good comic book drawing that Joe did and was like, mm-hmm. hello, lady. <laughs> like, lady. Crazy. <laughs> She refused to believe it. She's like, nope. Drawing is an outlet for Joey. He drew what he saw, not what he did. Sorry, babes. The drawing was dated July 4th. Pause for my birthday. It's now September. (laughs) Stabler tells Sandra that he was the shooter. This was obviously planned. He dated the fucking drawing. Mom has Mm. no idea where he is since he went into his room and snuck out. She hasn't seen him since that. Joe doesn't have any friends or any other family besides his mom. So they're like, well, we're at an impasse. Yeah, the dad walked out on them like three years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Craig and Huang are chit-chatting about Joe's motives, okay? The two boys that were killed were athletes and seen as the kings of the school. So Huang mentions that socially awkward Joe may have snapped after years of bullying, like what happened with Columbine. Yeah, like where and- they made the jock stand up before shooting, which we don't even know if that's true. Is it? It is. 
Uh, oh, okay. It is something that they did when they came in one of the rooms and, and demanded that all the jocks stand up. They found later that it wasn't necessarily the motive uh, or they, mm-hmm. they were after certain groups. But just then Munch drags George, the janitor, into Cragen's office like a mom making their eight-year-old go back to the store and return some mm. shit they stole. He's like, yeah. tell him what you said. Tell him what you told me. And George is like... I gave Joe the gun from the lockbox because Joe was always getting picked on. But I didn't know the gun was loaded. And he's like, do you feel better now? Go to your room. <sighs> you didn't check the gun? First of all, you gave it to a child, but you didn't check it? Yeah. Munch is like, all right, your father and I are very disappointed in you, George. We're leaving. <laughs> Toots then comes in with those luds, baby. Those sweet, sweet luds. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> These LUDs show that a call was made from Joe's house to get Metro North Line passenger info. Great. Mm -hmm. Lead. Mm -hmm. At the security office of the Grand Central Terminal, Munch and Toots are getting the TV cop details from the security officer. This is all so ridiculous. I like her a lot. Oh, I love her too. Yeah. She's just like, I got it. You know, you're like, okay. Yeah. She's got all the records pulled up and tells them Joe was checking the schedule for trains to Milford, Connecticut. Then she had her dudes going through camera footage of Grand Central fucking station. Enhance, enhance, enhance. enhance. Yeah. There he is on camera checking in. And Tooth jumps in and says, yeah, he's kind of hard to miss. And I'm like, what? I know. Grand Central <laughs> is in a sprawling commuter rail terminal in fucking midtown manhattan dude like it's it's like this tiny white kid (laughs) it's like with the most pixelated footage by the way until she works her computer magic i need that fucking program back to kevin McAllister's little brother so give me that 2005 program (laughs) so this kid is looking for trains to connecticut but then they watch him on camera that he didn't go to the correct level to catch the train he went downstairs which is where the subway is is. He pulled a little mm-hmm. switcheroo and is actually staying in the city. What a clever little move, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little too clever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Tooth thinks Sandra, his mom, told him what to do. Outside of Joe's house, Benson and Stabler stake out to watch for Joe's mom. They're talking about what Stabler would do if his kids get in some major trouble. Stabler's like, I don't know. Benson's like, yeah, you'd fucking hire the best lawyer you could and tell them to keep their mouth shut. Yeah. Dad, you know dad, the system. Dad, 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 dad. She's like, you know the system. Fucking Sandra. Sandra doesn't. Mm-hmm. Stabler says it doesn't make what she's doing right. Benson's like, it makes her a mother. And then, oh, Sandra comes out with some fucking bags. She hails a cab and Benson and Stabler follow. Mm. So Sandra goes into a building using the back door. Toots shows up and thinks it's her workplace. Munch had followed her on foot and over the radio says that the kid is in the building. Joe and his mom are found in the storage room behind a box fort they made or something. <laughs> this is behind some boxes. Yeah. Sandra's freaking out, saying it's her fault and to leave Joey alone. She's like, I was going to bring him in, I swear. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's why we have a bus ticket to fucking Phoenix here. And then Joe's like, mom, help me, whatever. And they are both handcuffed and taken away. At the precinct now, Benson and Stabler are with Joe being interviewed. His lawyer is also there, which is like this lady. Benson asks him why he killed the boys in the gym. Joe says he doesn't know who the two boys were that were killed. But at the hospital, he told him that he went to school with the boys. And he's like, no, I didn't. He denies ever saying that. He also denies drawing the picture found in his room, but identifies the mysterious figure as Zoltar. And then he starts hitting himself. 
All right. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, whoa, Zoltar's going to fucking kill you to Benson and Stabler. Yeah. And Stabler's like, are you Zoltar? <laughs> but he just loses it and starts screaming and thrashing around. He's being restrained and his lawyer's like, dude, I'm stopping this because Joey's obviously sick. Yeah. I only laughed because of the way that you said I, I It sounded really not cool. Are I, you Zoltar? You're like, are you Zoltar? <laughs> and I was like, hee hee, just because you're funny when you talk. Um. <laughs> So in the precinct, Benson, Stabler, Craig, and Wong are doing a walk and talk to Craig's office. Benson says that Joey's lawyer does not think he is fit to stand trial. And Benson's like, I fucking buy it. This kid is not. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huang says that Joe is having a psychotic break. Stabler wants to know if Joey was stable before killing those boys, though. Huang says that Joe's school reports all have reports of signs of depression and that he may have ADD. Whatever happened today tipped his reality into his super dark fantasy life and you can't tell the difference. Yeah. Zelter, also, he's supposed to be 13. I'm like, dude, that kid is like eight. They cannot get it right. No. In the very <laughs> beginning, when they find him sitting in the boiler room, they're like, blah, blah, blah. He's a teenager. And I was like, that child is the age of every second grader that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no way. And I'm like, if he's 13 and this universe shouldn't he be like 22 i don't know yeah, yeah they, they, they like don't i feel like jeremy was all over this one there's another mm-hmm. like there's a guy there's a guy that handles medicine and his name is like dr medwin <laughs> and no, i'm like are I, you kidding <laughs> did you see that too i i didn't notice it but i love it oh. now so <laughs> dr <Huang> medwin <laughs> i'm detective copson <laughs> i'm detective arrestman <laughs> arrestberg <laughs> Welcome to this diner. I will be your server, Wendy Waitstaffson. All right, <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is dumb. I just opened a new diner called Food Plateson. <laughs> food, food. Never mind. Okay. Huang, Huang says Hop that Joe's... Hop into my cab. I'll take you where you need to go. Me, <laughs> Dennis, drives a car again. <laughs> Okay, so Huang says that Zoltar may have been an escape for Joey, but they need to find out what made him turn real and violent for Joe. Yeah. In the interview room, Huang's talking to Joe. Joe is, Huang's calmly sitting there and Joe is pacing around the room, banging Mm. on the walls and the windows. He's super agitated while Huang asks him questions in his velvet butter voice. Mm -hmm. Stabler is standing at the door like a fucking bouncer. Dude, he's fucking manspreading by that door so hard. (laughs) He's like guarding it. It's fucking stupid. It is the width of the door opening. (laughs) It's Saturday and Joe hasn't slept since Wednesday, which I'm like, oh, this is relatable. So this is more than ADD, like Joe's Mm -hmm. situation now. And I'm not saying that they're presenting bipolar necessarily, but when I had my big break, my big, not in, not in show business, (laughs) my (laughs) my psychotic (laughs) break, my mental health problem. um, I was awake for at least three full days before I slept at all. Oh, and it's so like it. It just feels like your your nerves are just. Bzz, 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 bzz. Ugh. Yeah, it's a really gross feeling. He says that he doesn't sleep because he gets bad dreams, and he doesn't take his pills because of the voices in his head. And he starts freaking out and saying they're so loud, and he just wants them to stop. He's like, I can't hear anything else. Mm-hmm. And Oof. Juan calmly asks him about the voices. Joe says that the voices tell him to do things. When asked about Zoltar, mm. Joe says, "No one messes with Zoltar." Like, super serious. Like, his whole tone Mm -hmm. changes. Joe says that Zoltar punishes Joe's bullies and then dramatically tells the whole story about the shooting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's the one who shot the boys. Okay, I skipped over it until now, but not to be a dick about a kid. 
okay? But let's just say that the talent wasn't exactly sprinkled evenly among the Culkins. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then I came in, bang, bang. Like, it was, nah. You know, we can't all be Macaulay. And they all know that, and they all lived in that shadow. I ran with a gun. I shot them. <laughs> Zoltan, me. No. <laughs> Cabot and Craig and we're watching on the other side of the glass in Craig's little greenhouse. He's wearing a cutie little apron and straw hat with little gloves shearing and tending to his prized roses. <laughs> He's got the shears. Fuck this storyline, though. All of it. Cabot got bangs. I, yeah. I was like, it took me a minute a little bit later. And then I was just like, way later, I was like, wait a second. Oh, I don't like them. I don't either. You know what? She has the face to show her full face. Like, and maybe it's like a different kind of bang would work on her. They're just like not my favorite kind of bangs. And like, yeah, they're not my favorite her, kind yeah. of bangs. She can kind of do no wrong though, but she's like, I want to do a fun haircut. Olivia, Marishka. She's like, bang, bang. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Cabot's like, yeesh. He's 13. Craigan was like, so is this family court or whatever? And then she's like, no. And she tells Daddy Craigs that the murder was premeditated. So the DA is going to insist on charging Joe as an adult. We're in the courthouse. Cabot's former professor, Barry, is standing in the hallway with Sandra. <laughs> oh, fucking Barry. That pile of plain Quaker oats in a suit. I fucking hate this guy. We all do. His whole persona is meant to be hated. What was the last one he was in? Was it the trans one? I can't remember what it was, but he was like talking to Cabot as if he was her professor still. He's like, good job. You're not being graded, Cabot. Yeah. You don't need to impress this piece of shit. I love how she walks up to them and she's like, oh, Barry, hi. <laughs> what are you doing here? You didn't say anything about my bangs. <laughs> Nobody did. <laughs> I should rethink these. <laughs> and she just like unclips them and throws them away. <laughs> so Barry has taken Joe's case pro bono. He's defending Joe's right to refuse medication based on the 14th mm. Amendment right to privacy because mm -hmm. Joe's school was making him take medication, Aptril, which is a psychotropic antidepressant. I'm immediately like, how in the fuck is a school making him take a drug that has to be prescribed by a psychiatrist? Right. Like I, I was know. like, no. Well, that comes into play later. Cabot's mm -hmm. like, weak, Barry. A bunch of hot oatmeal <laughs> waterfalls out of Barry's mouth as he tells her that the drugs could have made him suffer some pretty severe side effects, including mania. Cabot wants to know how Barry is so familiar with the fucking case. And he's like, mm, Wong called me about it. <gasps> uh, and then walked away in his sloppy oatmeal shoes. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's oh. a walking Ziploc bag of oatmeal. Yeah. I hate this guy. Dude, she's going to fucking rip Wong to pieces. And this is where I'm like, also, has she always had bangs? <laughs> That's what I noticed. Now we're in the precinct. Cabot is pissed. She busts into the squad room and yells at Huang, Benson, and Stabler. Cabot asks Huang what the fuck he was thinking talking to Barry. Of course, Huang is like calm and amazing. And he's like, I'm concerned about Joe. And I knew Barry would share the same concerns. The school forced Joey to use the drugs he was on as part of school policy. And I am not for that. Mm -hmm. And Cabot's like, okay, bro, write a fucking article then. Don't interfere with my damn case. And he's like, oh my God, did you get bangs? <laughs> 
I love them, but fuck you. Wong is like, look, a ton of kids are forced to take drugs through their schools. And before you freak out, girl, listen to what Benson and Stabler have to say about what they found. So Benson and Stabler tell her that they spoke with the counselor at the school, the one that referred Joe to a psychiatrist, but Sandra wanted a second opinion, so they went to see another doctor, Dr. Eggles. <laughs> doctor <laughs> <laughs> and he is delicious. <laughs> Dr. Engels is who prescribed Joe the meds. Benson and Stabler are at the office of Dr. Engels. So we've seen Dr. Engels before. He was Rabbi Birnbaum last season, but now is Dr. Mm. Engels for three episodes. He has a um, a Ben Savage wig on, so I would never not recognize totally. this person. Obviously, he refuses to give any patient info to Benson and Stabler. They fucking tell him about the shooting. He's fucking shocked it was Joe. <gasps> He changes his mind and gives them whatever the fuck they want to know. So Engels didn't prescribe the Abtral. Sandra brought Joe in and Dr. Engels wanted to do psychotherapy. He thought Joe was a smart, capable, willing kid and was going to be able to make progress without medication. Sandra didn't bring him back after the second session saying that her insurance wouldn't pay for Joe to see him. But the insurance would definitely pay for the drug, though. It's a lot cheaper for insurance companies to prescribe meds than pay for therapy and stuff, which is totally gross. Yeah, it's super gross. I hate it here. Engels says he didn't prescribe the meds because he's not really into giving meds to kids if he doesn't have to. He says there's not enough information on the impact of these fucking intense medications on developing brains. Thank God for the people like that. So now we're in the precinct. Stabler and Cabot are doing a walk and talk. I'm going to, no, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I feel like if you're too reluctant as a doctor, though, you can also put kids in. He did say if, if he didn't have to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like that if there's. Because if... there's some, there's some, in my experience, some psychiatrists and doctors who are a little too withholding with medication. Mm. And then people end up in um, some pretty dire situations because they're not yeah. being. Because of, the, of the, the doctor's professional opinion on whatever, on, on medication or whatever. But I mean, in this situation, we're talking about kids. For sure. Early 2000s. And like, I'm glad there are people that are like, if I don't have to, and this child is going to probably get better. For sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I just yeah. want all of the bases covered with like. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely I just don't want to over, I don't want to overpraise the not giving meds mm -hmm. when it's like, then just keep, keep doing your research and keep. Yeah. Just stay as advanced with it as you possibly can because there are lives at stake. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So now we're at the precinct. Stabler and Cabot are doing a little walk and talk. The doctors that saw Joe agreed that he was depressed and that part wasn't fake. Munch comes over with a talk screen. Joe did have Aptral in his system. He could have taken a pill about 24 hours before the shooting. So where did he fucking get these meds mm -hmm. if they weren't prescribed to him? Toots thinks he got it from school. There's a ton of drugs in the school nurse's office or kids are selling or trading them to each other. Yep. Cabot's interviewing Joe with Barry, his lawyer, sitting there. She's mm -hmm. trying to find out where Joe got the Aptral from. Joe says he doesn't know where he got it. Cabot keeps kind of poking around with different questions, and Barry's like, are we going anywhere with this fishing expedition? <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Cabot, having to explain herself to this fucking mushmouth man, says, uh... If no doctor prescribed the meds, I have to assume that Joe got the meds himself and took them because he wanted to feel good. Not get better. Right. But Joe had also said earlier that he didn't want the drugs and he had felt better after talking to Dr. Engels. Like, but then they couldn't come back. Right. You know, his mom never brought him back. So Barry tells her, if that's her defense, then the trial will be nice and short. Let's go, Joe. God, he's and then I'm so like, I'm guessing the mom was giving it to him. That's yeah. right. I, I, right. Yeah. At the trial, Barry's questioning hot Dr. Petrus. Oh, she is 
She's a babe. Beautiful and probably top of her class. Well, she is a babe. Uh, she's on the stand being questioned by Barry, and she's talking about her findings with Aptral's effect on the brain. She testifies that it's a really helpful solution for many patients that benefit from SSRIs. Barry's all like, hmm, well, doc, then whatever could be the problem? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Barry. 1.8% of children and adolescents taking Aptral could have manic reactions to the drug. If you take everybody who's on it and then you take that percentage, that's 50 to 70,000 children. It's kind that's of a, a lot, yeah. Once you break down the actual numbers, like 1.8% seem it's kind of a high number. Cabot questions the doctor and just fucking crushes her now. Right. The scientific evidence doesn't hold up in other trials done of the drug. So Yeah, because she was like... Um, isn't science when like the result can be replicated? And she's like, yeah. She's like, well, you can't. It doesn't hold up. You can't repeat it. The doctor is like, well, there's a ton of anecdotal evidence that and then Cabot cuts her off. And she's like, doctor, I thought you were here as a scientist, not a storyteller. <laughs> and Barry's like, come on, judge. Come on. Come on. Cabot's like nothing further. I love when she does that fucking bitch. <laughs> Now Joe takes the stand. First, Barry's going to question him. Joe describes what happened during the shooting. He claims that the meds made him feel different. He was in like a red fog and nothing could hurt him or stop him. Yeah, it was all super intense. And that's what caused him to shoot the kids at school. He didn't want to take the meds, but did because if he didn't, he wouldn't be able to go to school. Now Cabot gets up. She holds up a blown up version of the picture Joe drew of the two dead students and Zoltar or Zoltran or transom or whatever who is it Zolt zoltan zoltar 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 he admits to drawing it but says that it means nothing it's just a drawing but joe drew the picture two months prior to being sent to the doctor and being diagnosed remember july 4th game mm -hmm, i do i love how cab it's like oh hey joe this was way before the shooting before you were on aptral it makes me think you were planning it and then the camera cuts to a very self-satisfied stabler because mm -hmm. he's the one who brought that up in the first place and he's like i did that <laughs> Joe says he wouldn't have done anything if it wasn't for the drug. He's like, I thought about it, but I wouldn't have done anything. Cabot then pressures him to tell her where he got the Aptral until Joe covers his ears and starts yelling for her to stop. Like it becomes way too intense for him. and He's freaking out. Mm -hmm. Sandra, his mom stands up and she starts talking. The judge says nothing during this. Like this is exactly where your gavel is required, guy. He's like eating popcorn. Like I'm not stopping any of this. Oh my God. Mom's <laughs> getting involved. She isn't even allowed to speak right now sandra stands up she's like fine i gave it to him leave him alone i gave him the aptral and then she tries to go by her kid and stabler's like uh -uh. pulls out the bouncer moves again <laughs> he squats really hard and he's like no at the precinct sandra's being interviewed by cabot and stabler decided to put on a button up and back up cabot he's getting profesh sandra says that she had told the lawyer barry that she had been the one to give joe the meds and barry said that the drugs were the issue not where they came from from. Okay. Yeah. Sandra had just found out that her insurance wasn't going to cover Joe's therapy. She was feeling pressure at work. Joe was about to get kicked out of school. Then all of a sudden, like a fucking fairy godmother, these drugs came to the mail. I'll be your fairy godmother. Fair, fairest. <laughs> Here we go. Fairest. Good mother. It's a field stin. <laughs> let it die, Tasha. Just let it die. I'll be your funeral director. <laughs> Dead oh. body. Body sin. <laughs> okay, so this then this Toe Taggerson. 
Cremaceous Imbalbalson. <laughs> okay, let's go. Come on, we're so My close. My friends call me creamy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, That's another word I My hate. friends from over the seas call me creme. <laughs> creme. Creme. Ugh, I hate being alive. Uh, okay, so all this stuff is going on for Sandra, okay? She's got all of these pressures, all this shit that's going to make her brain explode. Then all of a sudden this drug comes in the mail. It just arrived in the mail with a letter from Dr. Carl Medwin. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Carl Medicine Man Win. Medical doctor yeah, this win. This is like where I was like, okay, Jeremy is writing this fucking episode. I didn't put that together at all, but I love it. Ugh. So this guy was Sandra's former doctor. She had been prescribed Aptral when her husband left her and it had helped. The letter from Carl Medwin encouraged her to try the new version that was in the box. So she was like, oh, he's sending me this sample of this thing that's intended for me. I'm going to give it to my kid without a prescription. <sighs> And they were like, why would you do that? And she's like, I didn't want Joe to get labeled and have a record of having to be on these meds that followed him around the rest of his life. She thought it would make him better and no one would have to know. See, she, mm. there's plenty of people that only have to take medications for depression for... Um, like what, a series of time, just like a like Yeah, a yeah. Like if it's like something To help happens. him through a hump. Help, yeah. to help them through a hard time and, and it, it has less to do with a chemical imbalance it has more to do with like a experience like, you know anyway yeah i know people who have you know they go on zoloft for a chunk of time after some really difficult thing happens and they don't necessarily need it to function regularly so that's what she it sounds like she thinks is gonna happen i wonder what that's like i know where you just like can be alive and you're like know how to do it or something or, or like just, pretty you good get at up, it? you I get don't up know. in the morning and you're like well, I don't need to set an alarm to continue my will to live. Oh. <laughs> right. Cut to Gabe. Ah, my pills. <laughs> okay, so this whole thing to me, I was just like, this is so fucked up. And it's such a fucked up 20 years ago thing. But also mm. our healthcare system is super fucked up that like, I mean, I remember being younger and having terrible, terrible migraines. And my mom was like, well, don't tell the doctor you get migraines, though, because that can fuck up your insurance and whatever else. And I'm like, shouldn't my doctor know that I had these like crippling headaches that make my vision go away and make me barf? And eventually yeah. I was like, fuck it. And I just whatever. But she's like, you can say headache, but don't say migraine. And I'm, I don't know Weird. if things are different now. People but from other countries that are listening, tell us what your medical stuff is like. Oh, my God. They're, they just send us a, an email and they're like, better, <laughs> better right. than that. What did I what did I see? I saw this thing the other day that was like the United States is just 53rd world countries in a trench coat and an oh amazing yeah. military system. <laughs> right. So in the precinct, Cabot and Benson Stabler are reviewing case findings. Benson checked with the pharmacy that sent the Aptral in the mail. It was legitimate, even if it wasn't like the best practice she calls it sleazy mm -hmm. because it's kind of a sales tactic you know yeah sailor comes in and says that the ceo of tauscher leto which is the company said that his company would never randomly send out medications and it must be like a rogue employee who would be punished once found everybody's doing a fucking eye roll mm -hmm. we'll take care of this internally <laughs> Craigan says that the company that made Aptral were sending it out to people they knew would use it. They were fucking marketing prescription medications, which is disgusting. Mm -hmm. And Cabot's like, there is no way that fucking Sandra's doctor would have not signed the letter to a patient he hasn't seen in three fucking years without some incentive. Yeah. So they got to figure out who's fucking paying Dr. Medwin. <laughs> now Stabler and Cabot are at the Chelsea Neighborhood Clinic. They're talking to Dr. Medwin. He says that 
it was his signature, but he didn't write it. This was the first time he's even seen the letter. And Stapleton's like, aren't you kind of pissed off that they're like signing whatever? Dr. Medwin tells them that he was told by the drug company rep that his signature would be used to market a new form of Aptril and that the samples would be sent to his former patients. P.S., not with their consent. He knew that they weren't going to have consent. He signed about a dozen of these letters. Did he say two dozen or a dozen? Whatever. He signed a bunch of these letters and it was paid nothing. But his clinic was promised to be supplied with three months of essential drugs for his clinic patients, most of whom don't have insurance, and this would allow them access to meds. And Cabot says, so you made a deal with the devil? And he's like, dude, if it means giving my patients who can't afford meds access, then yes. And then he's like, his face too. He was like, plus, Aptral is a well-established drug. What harm could it do? Cabot fucking tells Medwin about Susan giving Joe the drugs and the shooting. He was absolutely like floored shocked. Medwin tells him the name of the company sales rep. It's a woman named Jane Wellesley. Stabler and Cabot find Jane at her car with a bunch of Aptrail marketing stuff in her trunk. She looked so familiar. She did. But she's been in a bunch of stuff, and I never watched this mm. show, but she's in a t- ton of episodes of the series 13 Reasons Why. Did you watch that? I don't know. I ne- I heard it was good, but also super polarizing because of the mm. subject matter, because it's all about, like... Uh, death by suicide and shit. Hmm. They're like, hey, we're a lawyer and detective. And she's like, I ain't got shit to say to you. She won't answer any of their questions. Stabler tells her what happened with Joe. And Jane says, the drugs that we sent out were sent to carefully selected patients. And then Cabot's like, whoa, whoa, did you say we? So the company knew. And then Jane drives off. Yeah, it was funny how she, not funny, but she she reacts to it. Not in the way that I think I would react. If I, I just, I maybe, maybe, I'm being judgy here, but like step back and take a take a breath on it and be like, holy Mm -hmm. shit, two kids were murdered and they're Mm -hmm. looking at the drug that I put out. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and they even pointed out that she had kids. They have like a little picture in her car. So the company knew the samples were being sent in the mail and that CEO lied about having no idea about it. Right. So Cabot walks into Huang's office. Mm, There's like some tension. She's like, I need some advice. And he's like, "Mm, I'm cute and funny. Lie down on the couch. And she's like, not that sort of advice. (laughs) She's like, I'm not that kind of advice. Did you see my bangs? (laughs) (laughs) I've never laid down in a therapist's office before. I have. Have you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I remember it's like cool. maybe the first couple times I'd been to different therapists and been like, do I, do I, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then I just like, no. And I sat. Now I constantly lay down because I do my meetings with my therapist are all over Zoom. So I snuggle down in bed. Oh, I get really toasty. I should do that when I talk to my, oh yeah, I sit at my desk. That's a good idea. Also, Huang must have moved offices because his view is completely different. No, we already went through this. Last season he moved. We were like, oh. No, I know. But then he moved again because last season we were like, oh, my God, there was like a walking path and there was all this like it was like a um, like a park or something. It was really nice. And now it's like a high rise with with the lights and the New York, you know, New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Cabot thinks that the sales reps actions were responsible for getting Joe the drug, which led to the shooting. So she's not sure that she even wants to win against little Joe. Yeah. And like all the sales reps are pleading the fifth. So mm-hmm. like this shit's going to start tomorrow. Yeah. She doesn't say it, but she was like, remember when I was mad at you, you were right. Mm-hmm. Kwong's like, all right, plead Joe out. 
even if it doesn't get justice for the two boys that died, at least it will get Joe into a facility that can help him. Yeah, because she can't help those boys right now. Like, it's yeah. impossible. But yeah. she can help Joe. And I get it. Like, the mom of the... Oh, God. I know. At the juvenile detention center, Barry and Cabot close talk in the dark about the deal. Barry says he <laughs> would... lips rat- are touching. <laughs> It was so, it's always so dark. You know how many times I've clicked the light button thinking that I, it's my lights turned down and then it's not. It's just the show. Yeah. Barry says he would rather take a win over the deal. Gross. Mm -hmm. So Cabot argues, wow, okay, you want to win, but what happens to Joe then? How will he ever get better? Let's say you do get him off. Let's say you do get a win and he leaves. He's back to the place that he was at before. You know, Mm -hmm. he's still in this hopeless, helpless position. Cycle. Yeah. Yeah. But she's not going to get anywhere. This fucking guy, this fucking spilled over the pot oatmeal that I leave on my stove and it gets crusted (laughs) over and takes forever to soak off. I know better and I still do it. I'm 40. (laughs) Then Cabot turns to Mom and Joe just sitting three feet away at a table listening to them talk about them. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, they're here. Yeah. <laughs> Cabot tells Sandra that Joe needs to plead guilty to manslaughter so he can go to a psych facility to get help. And Sandra is so flustered. And my mom heart was like, oh, mm-hmm. just like right now. I, I need a fucking beat. I got to think about this. It was. Yeah. True. yeah. We need to go. I need to talk to Joe about it. Do like, do it starts tomorrow. We got to make a decision now. Then this newborn baby teenager, Joe, decides that he wants to get better. He's like, I want to take the deal, mom. Like, I, I want to go somewhere and get help. Oh. Mm -hmm. It hurts my heart. Now we're in Cabot's office. It's super dark. Judge Connolly comes in and he's like, um, I'm sorry. Did you take a plea deal with Joseph? He said Joseph really weird. He's like, (laughs) Joseph, Joseph. He thinks that she, quote, let that oily tongue Tennessee weasel out maneuver you. Ew. Oily tongue. (laughs) That is gross. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, dude, there were mitigating circumstances that arose during the trial, you know, like corporate greed. And then he's like, corporate greed is the beaten heart of America. And Cabot's like, I'm not accountable to corporate greed. <laughs> and she drives off in a Rolls Royce because <laughs> she's fucking rich. <laughs> Connolly says, but you're accountable. Her windows are down a little and there's just hundreds like. <laughs> she's like, oh, no, my toilet paper. <laughs> Connolly says, but you're accountable to me. Connolly wants justice for the two victims. He wants to punish someone for their murders, which can't blame him. Let's, you know. Right. But I don't this this whole thing. I get so mad the rest of this because I don't care how high you have to go is such bullshit. They would press charges against Joe's fucking mom and wash their hands of it. They would not be like, let's dig deeper in this and go against. They would they would blame the mom. That's as far as I need to go. That's it. They're not going to go against a company and their lawyers yeah. and everything. No. No way. Tasha Leto put the drug it's in the kid's Tasha. hand. Sorry. Tasha Leto. <laughs> yeah. She was briefly married to Jared Leto. That's why it's. But then we found out we were first cousins. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Listen to Patreon. That's it. That was Patreon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tarsha- <laughs> Tasha Leto put the drug in the kid's hands and Joe is not fully responsible for his actions. Connolly wants someone to blame for this and tells her to find out ASAP, and he doesn't give a shit how high she has to go. Whoa. <laughs> so Cabot finds Jane on the street, the fucking medical rep lady. Jane's like, I'm not talking to anyone. I don't give a shit. And Cabot's like, it'll take two minutes. I just want you to meet with Joey's mom. For some reason, she says yes. Jane and Cabot go into a coffee shop, and she introduces Sandra to Jane. Sandra says, Jane, you sent Aptral in the mail. The letter said it was safe, and I gave it to my son. Jane says, that's on you, dude. You shouldn't have 
giving it to your son. Which I, yeah. And then Cabot goes, why? Because Aptral can cause psychotic episodes in children? I'm like, no, because you're giving a kid. Because it's not his medication. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jane says that the reports for psychotic episodes are unproven. Sandra says, I, I didn't come here to attack you. I know what I did. I know I was wrong. I know what my son did. But the company needs to take some blame. Jane argues that the letter that was sent with the sample had clear instructions and she walks away. And then Sandra calls for her. She's like, wait, you have children, right? Can you imagine if one of your kids became a murderer? If you love your kids, do not let the company you work for destroy any other lives. And then Jane's like, what do you want from me? Cut to this boardroom. Cabot, Benson, and Stabler go to the Tosh Leto headquarters boardroom thing. Mm -hmm. Dean Reynolds. Pause this actor's IRL name is Patrick Disney with a Z. No. Yes. Ugh. Disney. Jeremy's like, I like his real name. He's hired. <laughs> <laughs> let's but let but let's make his name normal. Let's just let's mix it up. <laughs> So he is fucking doing a presentation. There's all these people in there, which is why it's so satisfying when he gets arrested. What are you doing? I'm important. His signature is on a memo approving the direct marketing scheme that allowed Aptral to be mailed to patients and on a document approving giving doctors meds in exchange for patient lists. And then he's like, where'd you get those? <laughs> and a memo threatening employees with a lawsuit if they speak with press or law enforcement regarding all of this. Reynolds is arrested on reckless endangerment and criminal aversion of prescription medication. And he goes, oh. Oh, that hurts. He goes, yeah. He goes, stop it. You're hurting me. Yeah. And Sabre goes, take some Atro. That'll make you feel better. <laughs> it's like, that's not what that is. And then Cabot's got this fucking cheesing grin on her face and walks out. Toyota, dude. Toyota, dude. Okay, I I must have accidentally deleted it because I went off for a while about mm. Stabler wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> And Ugh. it's not in my notes anywhere. But there's a point in this episode where Stabler's in this dark fitted t-shirt and I don't want to sexualize him too much. I feel like maybe dropping it in here and there is like fine. Mm -hmm. But it was really tough. It was like a fucking like the what the fit of it mm, sorry yeah i wish i wouldn't have mm'd at that did you see this shania twain replaced brad pitt's name in that don't impress me much at the pcas what on stage she goes okay so you're ryan reynolds that don't impress and the crowd like went nuts <laughs> that's funny that don't impress me ryan reynolds like what i do <laughs> i'm america's sweetheart okay let's fucking do this. This isn't very long. Okay, cool. Because I, I, I have to go to the shop by three. Yeah, and I want to be done with this forever. So I can't believe the things we've accomplished together. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you too. Okay, so Columbine <laughs> is mentioned in this episode, but we covered that in season two, episode five, Baby Killer. So we're going to hit on the other focus in this episode. In 2001, Charles Bishop was 15 years old, an only child and living with his mom, Julia Bishop, in Palm Harbor, Florida. He was an A student, quiet and introverted. In March of 2001, Charles began taking flying lessons in Tampa at the National Aviation Holding Flight School. During his lessons, he was authorized to fly with his certified flying instructor, and that's it. Like, there were really strict guidelines, obviously. He's flying airplanes. Yeah. Then at 5 p.m. on January 5th, 
2002, Bishop was with his instructor in the Cessna 172 that he was going to fly in that lesson that day. He was mm-hmm. performing the basic pre-flight inspection, and usually you do that with your instructor. But this instructor, who knew Bishop had been taking lessons for months, left him to it while they ran to do something before the lesson started. Once Bishop was alone, he took off to fly on his own. Not cool. Mm-hmm. Like, he fucking started yeah. it up, took off. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the Coast Guard and the nearby Air Force Base were notified. The Coast Guard had a helicopter on him repeatedly telling him to land which he ignored he refused to communicate over the radio and just continued flying Mm -hmm. he flew for about nine to twelve minutes was later discovered that during this time bishop came dangerously close to a southwest flight before crashing into the 28th floor of the bank of america plaza high-rise building in tampa charles bishop was killed immediately fortunately the office that he crashed into was unoccupied at the time making him the only fatality oh my god that's so fucking lucky Mm -hmm. chief benny holder reported that detectives in charge of investigating the wreckage found a note in bishop's pocket and it said quote I have prepared this statement in regards to the act I'm about to commit. First of all, Osama bin Laden is absolutely justified in the terror he has caused on 9-11. He has brought a mighty nation to its knees. God blesses him and the others who helped make September 11th happen. The U.S. will have to face the consequences for its horrific actions against the Palestinian people and the Iraqis by its allegiance with the monstrous Israelis, who want nothing short of world domination. You will pay, God help you, and I will make you pay. There will be more consequences. Al-Qaeda and other organizations have met with me several times to discuss the option of me joining. I didn't. This is an operation done by me only. I had no other help, although I'm acting on their behalf. So 9-11 had just happened. This was the first week of January in 2002. And 9-11 happened in 2001. Right. It was only a few months later, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the investigation that... I I I don't really remember this, but I kind of vaguely do. Do you? I don't. I didn't yeah. remember it at all. In the investigation that followed, there was never a connection to any terrorist cell found. Instead, it was ruled a suicide and Bishop's mom, Julia, could not make sense of it. And she was certain that there were other contributing factors to Bishop's actions. See... Mm-hmm. Charles Bishop, like many teens, was on isotretinoin, the acne medication Accutane. Accutane can cause severe psychiatric side effects in its users, including depression and suicidal actions. An acne medication? Yeah, it's wild. Whoa. Um, Julia filed a $7 million lawsuit. That's $1.9 billion today. Over $2.8 billion in Australian dollars. She filed this suit against Roche Laboratories, claiming that those side effects were the cause of her son's actions. So I'm sitting here going, how does a direct link even get made when it comes to mental health? You know what I mean? I'm not about to do it here. It's just really interesting, but in like an enraging kind of way, you know? This warning started in 1998 by the FDA that these are the possible side effects, even though case reports linking those side effects to Accutane date back to 1982. It's the fifth most common drug reported to the U.S. Adverse Event Reporting System for these psychiatric side effects, Mm. as well as additional reports in Canada, Australia, and the U.K. But studies done also show that depression is more common in groups affected by acne than in the general population. So these studies and arguments and findings ping-pong this suit for years. Like, every time you say, like, if you have an argument for one side, there's going to be an argument for another side. And I'm sorry, but it's a med company. So they have so much money and amazing lawyers and lobbyists and everything else, right? And because it's a 
smaller percentage and they can figure out how to say that it wasn't the medication's fault, mm-hmm. they were able to do that. I mean, it's about mental health. It's a, it's the most contentious topic to try and nail down when you're arguing a lawsuit and money. In mm-hmm. the end, they couldn't prove Roche's direct responsibility in Charles' actions. And after an exhaustive battle, a physically and emotionally beat Julia, dropped the suit on June 26th. 2007. Mm. I had a buddy who was on Accutane and I knew nothing about that it could affect your mental health. You know what I mean? I rem- it's still around, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's I guess when talking about those side effects because they're like, "Oh, may cause XYZ. Yeah. And those side effects are rare or more rare. But like in the episode when they're like, right. "Oh, it's 1.8%, but that's 50 to 70,000" people yeah and obviously all of my sources in the show notes and so there's some really interesting stuff in there if you like dry reading and you want to get more stats and stuff because it's really fucking interesting but no real gotcha kind of thing in this story it was just a bummer it's just a fucking bummer and this mom julia bishop believes that accutane contributed to the death of her son Hmm. all right well that's it next week we got season five episode three mother mother knows best i always think of that skit on snl where he's like i am your mother (laughs) a psychiatrist who specializes in sex offenders is found beaten in a crack house and a serial rapist is the prime suspect that's Mm. gonna be a good one fuck so uh rate and review us Email us at supod at gmail.com. Send us cool stuff if you want uh, at P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Check out our Instagram at SVUPod. Join the Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. It's super fun. Hashtag little bit loud for indie pods and finding all that kind of stuff. And join the Patreon. We got so much fucking content. Yeah. So much content. It's piling up over there and it's all stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, love you, bye. Love you, bye. I'm a slice. Ew. uh, I'm a little jiggly slice. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because I had that breakfast bio. Breakfast bio? (laughs) (laughs) In that breakfast bio. So now we're in the precinct. Cabot is fucking pissed. Hi, my name name is Edgar Baconstein. I will be your breakfast this morning. I will be your breakfast this morning. Okay, sorry. Sorry. I was like trying to... People call me Eggy for short. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't funny. It was just how close I was like swallowing the microphone. (laughs) All right, here we are. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I love you. Why do I feel like we're fighting half of this episode, but I don't know why. Um, are, are, do you feel like I we're feel like it's me. Hi, it's me. It's me. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. It's me. And to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Sky K, Marissa M, LKH, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin. Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyanga. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kayla, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Bear. Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Emily A, Angela D, MacTac, Casey Dubs, Abby Dubs, Alexis J, Lauren T, Cassandra S, Kaylin B, Camilla Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen, Katie M, Crystal B, Jessica P, Nada M, Sin, Zan and J, Christina D, Liana, Madison H, Emily L, <laughs> Crystal M, Victoria B, and Kelsey D. We love and appreciate you guys. You're awesome. We love it and we love you. Bye.